we should do a podcast on carrier hotels. Okay. That's podcast number 10, carrier hotels. There we go. My name is David Liggett, and this is the Hawk Podcast number 10. Uh, Very excited to be covering something today that is actually making a very big difference in the data center world. It's not something we talk about all the time, but it is a part of real estate that is changing the industry. But this is Hawk Podcast number 10, so that's double digits, Rhett. Uh, yes, yeah, so we have uh, we've gotten to double digits with our podcast, which we're excited about that. Uh, for those of you that are new to this podcast, this is a place where we talk all things data centers. Uh, and so today we are covering Carrier Hotels. This came out of a comment on podcast number nine, uh, where I made mention of the growth of the Carrier Hotel, I guess, market. And so uh, we decided to cover it today. So if you're new to this industry and you don't know what that means, don't worry, we're going to explain it. Uh, if you're in the industry, uh, you're aware, but this is, uh, and here's the three things we're going to cover today regarding carrier hotels. Number one, we're going to talk about what is a carrier hotel. Uh, number two, we will discuss what makes carrier hotels unique. And then number three, we are going to dive in and talk about where are the major carrier hotels. So, um, we're going to go through probably five or six different markets and actually hit some of the facilities that are uh, changing the market and have been there for a while. Uh, and today's topic for me is really interesting because, uh, you know, I got into the data center space through the, the real estate world. Uh, when I, uh, I joined CBRE, which is a global real estate company back in 2007, and really had never thought through what uh, much about the data center industry that was a time too that the data center industry certainly was was growing it was maturing uh out of buildings that had been you know either previously uh you know uh, disposed of during the dot-com boom or in the 2000s and then you know basically retrofitted to becoming a data center facility uh and but in 2007 the data center business was really starting to mature and so that's when I got into uh, the space. But it, but this the, the reason that this is such an interesting uh, topic to cover is because it's really it, it's the merging of real estate and technology, and 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 it shows how um, you know the 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 real estate assets are supporting what's happening in the the digital age. And so that's why I'm I'm excited. So uh, if you're if you're you know from the real estate world this will interest you if you're from the telecom world uh, and the technology side of things this will certainly be of interest uh but you know there's a number of different data center real estate asset classes that we talk about at data center hawk and we've talked about on our podcast before uh certainly if you're um if you listen to what we talk about you've heard us speak of the hyperscale data center market that's one of the uh, areas in the industry that has grown over the last three to four years. So these are, um, you know, if, if you're thinking that, hey, this is a hyperscale facility, um, you know, what these data centers typically are, are those built to handle the needs of large scale users that need to grow fast and they value flexibility. And that's, that's just one type of, of real estate. And we've really seen that 
uh, sector grow in the last you know, three to five years. And that's why you've seen a lot of uh, M&A activity in the market. It's also why you've seen the amount of capital that's come in is to support the, the needs of those users and the facilities and the markets uh, that those companies are in. Um, another type of you know, a real, real estate asset class is really the traditional co-location facilities. These were facilities that, that are be, still being built today, but were really built, I would say, between you know, 2008 and 2013 or 14. Um, and these are traditionally buildings that serve enterprise users, Fortune 1000 companies that have requirement sizes, you know, anywhere from five to 10 cabinets all the way up to two to three megawatts. And that uh, those type of requirement sizes traditionally fit well within those more standard co-location facilities. Uh, and you hear that word enterprise demand, uh, and that's the type of, of growth that takes place there. Uh, but we're not talking about those two today. We're talking about carrier hotels, uh, which are, you know, an emerging type of real estate that uh, is becoming more and more important as data center users grow in their maturity and they value connectivity. And, and we're going to highlight that today um, in this podcast. So really excited about this, uh, talking through this today. Um, these are facilities that are handling the needs of companies and you know uh, consumers every day so uh, this will be a really fun podcast to uh, to kick off and hopefully you hear me say this but I do want to say thank you if you have uh, I was talking to a couple of people last week that are consistently watching our either our podcast on YouTube or, or listening on uh, the other platforms that we're on, we're on we just want to say thank you and make sure that you know that we appreciate it um, and so if you want to help us, if you want to help uh, our team and, and if the content's valuable, then, then share it. Uh, that would be amazing. That's super helpful for us and what we're doing. Um, and I think one of the things I'm really proud of when we uh, started focusing on our digital content was, uh, you know, you really have to draw a line in the sand and commit to uh, taking the time to develop solid content uh, and content that is meant for you know, the user base that you're serving. And so, um, so I just wanted to provide an update on some of the things that we have available. You know, one thing you can go to our YouTube channel. I think we have over a hundred video content pieces, uh, that can help you get up to speed on the data center industry. When I got into the space back in 07, there was not a lot there to, to help people, uh, catch up on what's happening in the market. So we have over a hundred videos there that you can watch. The unfortunate thing is I'm on most of them. So you have to put up with me, but good luck. Um, you know, we have a feed, uh, actually in, on YouTube that's called, it's our Hawk talk segments. Now these are just sit downs with industry, uh, you know, data center industry leadership. The, these are CEOs, uh, chief financial officers, uh, uh st strategic leaders within companies that are really shaping the vision for this entire industry, not just in the U S but across the world. And so we'll sit down and we'll talk with them. We'll ask them questions about how they see the market growing, what's changing, um, and so I would just let you know if you're wanting to understand uh, their mindset and where they're focused from a geography perspective and why they're focused there, uh, that's a great place to do it. Uh, and I think we've got over 25 different discussions there. This, as I mentioned before, is our 10th podcast. Uh, you know, these are available on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. These are things that I personally want to cover. So let's me, uh, it's a good outlet for me to 
um, you know, talk about the data center industry and also things that are uh, personally of interest to me. The the ninth podcast that we just did that Rhett is currently uh, working through is uh, was on the Seattle data center market and some of the dynamic changes that are taking place there. That's a really interesting, uh, you know, data center area of growth. And so if you're interested, that's podcast nine that we just did. Uh, and then we also have a new segment called Ask DCH, which is where you can ask us uh, questions about the data center industry, and then we will answer those. Um, and then we also have a market inside track where we're updating users or we're updating the market on why certain things, uh, certain markets are growing, uh, trends we've seen in different areas, how big they are, et cetera. So that's an update on our content. If, you, uh, if you're interested or have any questions on that, reach out to us on social media and we will help you out. But this is podcast 10. We are talking about carrier hotels and we're going to answer three things. What is a carrier hotel? What makes carrier hotels unique? And where are the major carrier hotels? Uh, I guarantee you there's one or two within the city that you're in. Uh, so what is a carrier hotel? Uh, you know, these are downtown buildings traditionally. And there's a reason for that with large concentrations of network and connectivity service providers. Uh, you know, one of the words that you will hear when you think about carrier hotels is ecosystem. And this is where uh, these companies, many of them have uh, congregated so that they can serve the end user needs, um, you know, where when, when those users uh, come there. So, you know, these buildings are connectivity hubs. Uh, and this real estate, in my opinion, is running our technical world today. Uh, the, and the buildings, so they're going to provide basic co-location services so you can get power, space, and cooling at these facilities. Um, but it's important to note that the data center infrastructure that companies choose to house in these carrier hotels is strategic in nature uh, because they are putting it there to connect with a company in the ecosystem, a network service provider, a, a cloud provider, um, and these buildings, the, the carrier hotels, they have what are called meet-me rooms. Uh, and, and all data centers traditionally have meet-me rooms. But in the carrier hotels, they're, uh, I would say, strategically important because this is where the, all these services enter the facility. Um, and it's the access point for where the services are offered in the building. So these service providers, the, the ones that are coming in, want to be a part of these ecosystems because the opportunity they have to offer services to customers at these carrier hotel facilities. Um, and so that's really what this is. I mean, these are, um, and we'll talk about how the actual real estate um, looks in some of these facilities because it's a bit different than what you're seeing being purpose-built today. Um, but, you know, these are these are large buildings that have a collection of, of service providers in them that can be, uh, uh, that can service the end users themselves. So here are some of the types of providers. One of the questions that you might have is like, so what kind of companies want to actually go into these data center facilities? What, how would you describe them? But here are some of the, the way those companies um, would be described. You know, some are just network carriers, so fiber providers um, that want to be there. They want to sell their fiber to the end users themselves. Um, and their locations in these facilities provide access to their long haul uh, fiber product, their metro fiber product, and then dark fiber options as well. So, you know, these are, think of uh, air, uh, companies like AT&T, CenturyLink, Zayo, Verizon, et cetera. You will find those type of companies, all of them, 
in major carrier hotels across the United States and, and other parts of the world. So that's one group that you have that are actually coming into the, the carrier hotels uh, themselves. You also have cloud providers and content delivery networks within the building. And so these companies are interested in these types of facilities, the carrier hotels, because it allows them to deliver their services better and faster. Uh, think of Akamai, Cloudflare, Epsilon, Megaport, Packet Fabric. These are all companies that would want to be in these facilities that fall under that cloud provider or CDN network. Uh, and then you also have managed service uh, providers. Uh, and they find these facilities attractive because they can use the services of the carrier hotels to make their end service better for their customer. And then, and then you have co-location providers. So, you know, they're called carrier hotels because uh, a lot of groups are there. And uh, you will see within major carrier hotels across the U.S., you will see a number of co-location providers located within those facilities. In fact, some of those co-location companies have gotten so big within those carrier hotels that it eventually led them to actually purchase the carrier hotel and to be the owner of the, uh, of the site, which is, makes for a very interesting situation. Um, and, and I think one of the key catalysts for these carrier hotels growing in importance, growing in strategic value, growing in, you know, really the, the, the uh, value that they, that they've sold for over the last, you know, 20 years was, uh, the telecommunication act of 1996. Uh, and so when that was signed, the purpose was really to deregulate the communications industry. And so when that happened, these, these buildings really became ground zero for data center providers and users to congregate for different connectivity and network services. And so that's why you hear that, again, that word ecosystem used to describe these environments. But that change in uh, legislation allowed for, uh, you know, a much more competitive uh, market. And so these were the areas where uh, uh, you know, that th you had the greatest opportunity to do that. And so that that's really what unlocked, in my opinion, uh, this very competitive market space. And it really grew the value of these carrier hotels throughout the United States. Um, you know, another just thing to note very quickly is, you know, most cities only have one building that really, uh, you know, is, is the unofficial carrier hotel. There are some uh, uh, facilities, some cities across the U.S. that will have a couple that are just massively connected and have over, you know, 100, 200 service providers within the building. But, but most have one, most markets have focused on one building where that's taken place. Some situations, some, some parts around the U.S. specifically, some cities, uh, there have been problems at a carrier hotel and it's caused other companies to want to actually go and, um, you know, acquire a facility to be that next carrier hotel, and you are starting to see some of that. But you typically will see one to two of these facilities when it, within each market, and there's reasons why that takes place. Uh, but that is really what a carrier hotel is. Again, downtown buildings with large concentrations of network and connectivity service providers. Uh, and it is really interesting to see the growth take place. Uh, so what makes carrier hotels unique? Uh, so, you know, one of them is just, again, the density of the amount of providers that are that are actually in the facility themselves. That's that's one thing for sure. Um, you know, typically m most of these buildings were located in downtown areas because that's where a lot of infrastructure already, uh, you know, was. And so the, the facilities are actually taking advantage of, 
you know, the, the, the density of location, not just from a power uh, connectivity perspective, but also from a, a power standpoint. Uh, so you've got the carrier density. Uh, you have the infrastructure, uh, you know, located within these downtown areas. These are actually typically multi-story buildings that were not originally constructed for a carrier hotel or a data center purpose. Uh, but the characteristics of the surrounding infrastructure and facility created the opportunities for these to become data center facilities. So actually, when you walk through a lot of these different facilities, uh, it is not what you traditionally see today when you think about how uh, efficient and purpose-built data center facilities are today. It's a very different product. Uh, but because of the value of the ecosystem, um, you know, it can kind of get away with some of the inefficiencies that might be in a multi-story building or, you know, fiber running up an elevator bank, et cetera. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, typically there's multiple options. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, you'll hear these facilities described as carrier neutral. Um, there's usually office tenants in the building as well. So, you know, some of these buildings might be three, 400,000 square feet, but some of them are all the way up to one to 2 million square feet. And so because of that, and because of some of the presence of uh, other uh, users, there's there are also office tenants as well. So it's kind of a very interesting mix of people that use the facility. And and traditionally, so what what else makes these carrier hotels unique? It's it's very expensive real estate given the location, the infrastructure, the connectivity, network density in the building. Um, all of that makes these facilities extremely valuable, and and the companies that, you know, need the infrastructure space, you know, obviously pay more than your traditional office tenant would. And so that's what makes them uh, unique when compared to other office or, or even data center facilities themselves. So, you know, we've talked about what is a carrier hotel. Again, downtown buildings with large concentrations of network and connectivity service providers. Uh, we've talked about what makes these carrier hotels unique. Obviously, the carrier density um, you know, the multi-story buildings, where they're located from a downtown perspective. And then we've also uh, talked about, and now, uh, now we're going to talk about where are the major carrier hotels. And one thing I just want to say very quickly is, is, you know, the business model around a lot of these carrier hotels is cross-connect fees. So if you're not in the space, you know, that might sound just weird. Um, and frankly, sometimes it can be weird, but basically what happens is, uh, you know, if you if you're you're basically from a fiber perspective, uh, you need access to different networks, different providers. You'll pay some sort of fee to connect with them, and so it happens in these different areas. Uh, and some companies have there's been a business model that's been very lucrative for a number of different data center operators that are out there um, and service providers that are out there. Um, but there is starting to be some competition among that uh, among those. Uh, types of fees. And so you're, you're seeing some companies that are really trying to build different facilities with meet me rooms with no cross connect fees uh, to offer something different to the market. So uh, that is something that you're seeing out there. I just thought, you know, I uh, think that's worth mentioning. Um, but you know, if you have an, if you have an area that has over 250 different service providers and there's cross connect fees going back and forth between uh, some of those different companies, there's obviously a big opportunity there. So um, okay, so now I'm going to walk through where some of these different carrier hotels are. And this is really interesting. Actually, I love this. Uh, if you're in the real estate business, you'll love this too. This is um, just highlighting how some of these facilities have changed over time. 
you know, every, that's a good point. Every real estate asset has a story to it. And, you know, especially from a commercial real estate side of things. But when you get into the data center business and you start thinking about how buildings are built, where they're built, why they were, why they were built there, uh, you know, data center facilities that have been retrofit. So, so they were originally something else and now they've become data center facilities. These specifically, many of them were built kind of like, uh, you know, early to mid 1900s. So it's, it's a very like interesting story. They were not built to be data centers, but they have a very rich infrastructure uh, to the facility. So it, it creates a, a very interesting story. So I'm going to highlight uh, probably seven or eight different markets and then, um, and then go from there. So in Atlanta, there's a building called 56 Marietta. It's in downtown. It's a 10 story, 155,000 square foot building. Um, you know, the, the, it was an office building to begin with. There's over 130 network providers in that building. Uh, the building was actually purchased by Telex in the 2000s. And then when Digital Realty uh, bought uh, the, the Telex business, they gained control of the building after the Telex acquisition. But that's really the, the, the carrier hotel there. There's a, another building or two that's, you know, that has a, a significant or a decent amount of, of carriers. But that's really where uh, things are well connected from a, um Atlanta perspective. Um, in Chicago, uh, the, the main... Carrier Hotel is a building called 350 East Cermak. This is kind of on the southern part of downtown Chicago. It is a 1.1 million square foot building. It was built in the 1920s, uh, but went through a conversion to uh, be basically be converted to a carrier hotels in the late 90s and has been operating like that ever since. Uh, this is actually another facility that's owned by Digital Realty. Um, and, and digital has a larger presence in Chicago as well, uh, out in the suburbs, but everything really ties back, uh, from a connectivity perspective to 350 East Cermak, not just for digital, but other providers as well. Um, and so this building is really interesting because it was formerly a printing plant for the RR Donnelly company. And so then obviously, so it, it just has a very, um, rich, uh, a very like robust, uh, um, just a very robust infrastructure and it has over 70 different network providers today. So there's a number of different co-location operators that have a presence within that facility uh, as well. You know, digital owns it, but there's, there's many of them that uh, are located in that facility as well. And that's, that's traditionally how you will see that taking place. Um, so I want to go to Boston. Uh, I mean, I, I'd like to go to Boston, actually, but I, I, we're going to talk about Boston very quickly. So, like, right in the heart of downtown Boston, there's a facility, uh, and it's it's called One Summer Street. That's actually the address, um, and it's owned by the Markley Group. They bought it back in the late 90s and have invested heavily into the facility ever since. It's, it's a huge facility. It's on over 900,000 feet. There's over 90 network providers on the site. It's amazing. I actually... Um, was up there a couple months ago and, and walked it through it. And it is, you know, it's a fantastic facility. Um, and, and you just, the strategic, I mean, all these different carrier hotels would fit into this category, but the strategic value that they serve and the companies that have, I mean, you know, key data center infrastructure there, um, it's just amazing. So that's really the carrier hotel, not just for Boston, but you know, for most of the Northeast. Um, again, just a huge facility. 
and and really well done. Uh, so in Dallas, uh, there's really two facilities. Uh, one I'm going to focus on is the Infomart. Uh, that is 1950 North Stemmons. Most people in the data center industry would obviously be aware of this building, but this is a about a one and a half million square foot building that was built in 1985 um, by you know, one of the world's best real estate developers, Trammell Crow. Um, and, you know, he really built it with the intention of it being a place where technology companies could bring their inventory and, um, you know, sell it to the market. There's a, a an actual fashion mart directly next to uh, the info mart. And so this was in a very successful for a long time. Uh, and and this was really designed to do that same have that same approach from a technology perspective, and so it ebbed and flowed for a while. And then you know it's a late when the late '90s came, it started to be converted into more of a telecom hotel, and you had a number of different uh, uh, co-location providers that uh, that gained a, a presence there, uh, most notably Equinix, and they just continued to grow and grow and grow. Um, and then several different ownerships had the facility, but in t 2018, just last year, Equinix bought the Infomart again, one and a half million square feet for, for $800 million. Uh, so I think, you know, one, one thing is I actually personally got a lot of calls or a number of calls from, you know, investors in the space, you know, that number will wake a lot of people up just as it relates to, to any type of real estate asset. But I think obviously it was a very strategic asset for, for Equinix, but um, it just shows the value of of what those uh, uh, facilities are doing today, um, not just for Equinix, but for, for other companies as well. There's also a building in downtown Dallas, uh, actually just to the south uh, east of that building called 2323 Bryan, which is owned by Digital Realty, uh, and it's it has carry hotel qualities as well. It's, you know, um, you know, 20 stories tall. There's, you know, a number of different carriers in that building, but both of those buildings are really the, the assets where, you know, the network and the, the uh, carriers all want to be uh, from a Dallas perspective. Um, in Houston, the building that is the main carrier hotel in downtown is an 800,000 square foot building uh, called 1301 Fannin. Um, and, you know, again, this is in in downtown. Was not originally built to be a data center facility, but over time, a number of different co-location operators are in that facility. This is interesting. Uh, it, the The building in two thousand seven was purchased uh, by Griffin Partners for approximately one hundred fifteen million dollars, um, and it was sold to its current owner, Neutrality, in twenty fifteen for two over two hundred million. Um, so, you know, again, this is uh, most of these assets are in already highly priced real estate areas. Um, but you put the, the cash flow of these companies that are within there and then just the assets that the, that the facilities have creates some very highly priced real estate. Um, in Los Angeles, uh, there is a building at 624 South Grand Avenue called One Wilshire. It's actually, you'll, you'll see it, it's written on the side of the building. Um, and again, it's right in downtown, 650,000 square feet. Uh, the building was bought by Heinz in 2007 for $287 million. 
Uh, and then Heinz sold the building to GI Partners in 2014 for 437 million. So at the time, that was the most expensive purchase of of any downtown building in Los Angeles. Um, and you know, I think just what that highlights obviously is the the real estate market growing. Uh, but you know, just the value of that real estate. Uh, the largest tenant in the building today is CoreSite, who's a publicly traded data center provider, and they. Um, you know, basically one of their parent companies 20 years ago owned the property property for a period of time. So they, they took a, a pretty large um, footprint in that building and have just been, you know, continuing to grow. But uh, that building has, from a, just a, a network density, uh, is probably one of the most, you know, connected buildings on the West Coast of the United States. It is just a, a, a massive building and, and the connectivity there is... Um, is next level uh in new york there's a building called 60 hudson um so actually this is located in, in lower manhattan and this was the old western union building in 1928 uh it was built and it's a 700,000 square foot facility there is um you know it is just right in the middle of uh you know just a very densely uh infrastructure robust area and uh and so it, it's one of the carrier hotels there the other carrier hotel in in kind of the new, downtown new york area is 111 8th avenue so this building is is almost three million square feet and it was built in 1932 it's in the chelsea area uh, and it was built in 1932 with the purpose of serving as a union uh, inland terminal for the railroad and shipping piers um, and, you know, I think that kind of faded. And so in like the late 90s, uh, there's an investment company called uh, Taconic that bought the facility. And then really, uh, that was in 98, began leasing to telecom companies and really started kind of ushering it into um, the digital age. And uh, it was continuing to grow. And, and so one of the companies that, so there's a number of co-location companies within that facility, network providers, et cetera. One of the companies that took a very big presence there was Google. And so they they bought the facility in 2010. Again, this is this is a, a 2.9 million square foot building, but they bought it in 2010 for approximately 1.9 billion dollars. Um, so just extremely valuable uh, real estate. Uh, in Phoenix, there is a building 120 East Van Buren. Digital Realty bought it in 2006 for 175 million. Uh, the the uh, the building is around 175,000 square feet. There's over 35 plus providers in the building in Seattle, uh, 2001 Sixth Avenue, the Weston building, 400,000 square feet, built in 1981, 34 stories. There's only 250 carriers and network service providers in that building. So just, gosh, massively dense. Uh, and then and then I'll end with so in Northern Virginia, um, I'm just going to end with this one facility. Uh, there's there's a building DC two on filigree court that Equinix owns. So this was the original data center for, for, um, for Equinix in Ashburn. And <clears throat> I will tell you that th there's a number of reasons. So Ashburn and Northern Virginia's largest data center market in the world. And, and I would tell you that, you know, not only is there's a number of reasons that market has grown, but certainly one of them, is because of this specific real estate asset. Uh, the amount of connectivity and providers that are within this facility and have chosen to locate there over a long period of time 
have made uh, you know this area uh, you know have made companies want to be close to this specific facility. And so, if you're in Northern Virginia, if you're in Ashburn, and you drive down Loudoun County Parkway, uh, you drive down some of the streets that are you know located within close proximity to that you will see um, a data center area like you know does not exist anywhere else. And the re- one of the reasons is because of this building and, and because it was built a long time ago and the amount of connectivity that's taken place. Uh, and then there's other areas too. San Francisco, Turner, Paul Street, Omaha. There's a Carrier Hotel growing, 1623 uh, Farnham Street, um, Toronto, 151 Front Street. I mean, there's just there's other Carrier Hotels in different markets. But these are really the places today where, you know, you're seeing companies – uh, locate and continue to want to be so that they can serve the needs uh, of data center users, uh, both today and in the future. Um, so that is it. Carrier hotels, um, you know, a very, a very interesting type of real estate. Uh, it is, you know, only one that will get more valuable over time because the uh, density and the ecosystems will grow. Uh, density of providers and the ecosystems will grow. So again, these are buildings with large concentrations of network connectivity and service providers. Um, they're unique in nature and, and they're, you know, located obviously in cities across uh, the U S and, and cities across the world as well. So uh, thanks for listening. This has been the podcast Hawk podcast number 10 on carrier hotels. Um, if you are interested in our other content, you can check it out uh, on YouTube Uh, Facebook, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter. I'm sure there's other ones, but I've I've forgotten. Uh, But we're we're out there. So if you're uh, interested in our content, it should be there. Um, But thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one.